0: Welcome to Music Matters Podcast with Daryl Craig-Harris, talking about all things music with celebrities, artists, music business insiders, and more. Welcome to Music Matters, a podcast series about all things music. Today we have as our special guest, producer and documentary filmmaker, Denny Tedesco, Denny has had a long, successful career in filmmaking, including working on several IMAX documentary films. He also produced and directed the highly successful music documentary, The Wrecking Crew, about a group of legendary L.A. Session musicians in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, one of whom was his father, legendary L.A. studio guitarist, Tommy Tedesco. Hey, Danny, how you doing? I'm great. Awesome. So you're in, you're in Los Angeles, correct?
1: Yeah, well, it's funny because technically today I am in Ventura, California. Oh, okay. Um, my parents in the seventies um, bought a, a condo up here. Oh. And it's funny cause uh, it's when my dad started playing live actually, because he bought this condo and there was a live band playing, I don't know if you know Ventura, but there's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. you know, where the pier is, there was a place that was called Charlie's and had a lot of live jazz and he would go there, he would walk by and he sit in and all of a sudden he started playing live again. So this condo has always been in our life, you know, for our family. And now yeah, that's,
0: that's a great area, too. I love it. Oh,
1: yeah. So basically, we had to leave L.A. Um, my house. Well, it's a lot of information from Zoom, but I rented <laughs> my house out for a week for a film crew.
0: Oh,
1: OK. So, oh, cool. Fortunately, I had somewhere to go.
0: Um, so, you um, you know, a lot of people would know you from the Wrecking Crew film, which is a story that, um, or a film actually, that's made its way around the world, highly successful. I know it. How many years did it take you to get that film made?
1: It's, well, I started in '96. Dad was diagnosed with cancer. It's so weird because I can't remember. Sometimes the dates go out of my head. I think he was, was diagnosed in '96. Right or late 95. And, and
0: your father was, was a legendary studio guitar player, Tommy Desco, which is prominently featured in the film.
1: Right? Right. So when he was diagnosed with cancer, they said uh, you know, he had maybe a year to live, 11 months. Oh, wow. And, and I always wanted to tell the story about my father and his friends, the Wrecking Crew, which was just a nickname given to the session players of the time did all the rock and roll in the 60s. And I knew if I didn't jump on it, I was going to lose it and it was going to be my biggest regret in my life. There's a lot of regrets, but that would have been my biggest regret at the time. I decided to start putting the guys, my dad and Hal Blaine and Carol Kay and Blas Johnson at a round table and started filming. And that was in 96. Dad died in uh, 97. And then... We didn't release, We then we finally got a cut like 11 years later in 08. Wow. And then we still couldn't get picked up because no one would ever help us because of the music. And then we finally released it on Magnolia Pictures in 2015.
0: So you mentioned, yeah, about the music. I was actually reading about that and people don't think about that, but there's so many, how many songs were in that film? There was like hundred and something, was, right?
1: 110 in the film, the DVD, I think I added another 20, five maybe 25 songs i wow. had a lot of and it's the weirdest thing is because you know every the, my goal on the every song i, I got to give the labels and the publishers so much credit because all those years they no, nobody turned anything down wow. and everybody was on most favored nations i mean they didn't make a lot of money off of me believe me
0: yeah Even i mean the- and the music is Music is such an integral part of that film. It couldn't be done without
1: it. <laughs> it's 50% of the picture, hmm. you know, and the weirdest part was, like I said, 110 songs in the film, not one of those music cues do not have those guys on it. Right. If, it's, if it's underscore underneath my father, I have his jazz stuff playing. If it's underscore of, um, of Hal Blaine. I have some of his rock stuff, his, you know, his personal stuff. So everybody was kind of like, even when I needed, of oh, this is the best, was I needed um, New Orleans music. And, oh, God, totally blanking. Oh, God, help me. <laughs> this is the age get coming in. It was, I needed it for Plas Johnson's story. Right. Yeah, it's his background. Yeah. Right, and I needed. Do you remember the? Oh God, I just feel horrible. I actually, just
0: I just rewatched the film uh, last night because I, I mean, I love that film. It's, it's, Thank you. and I, you know, I met your dad. I went to Musicians, oh, Musicians Institute. Me? Yeah, I, I went yeah. to Musicians Institute in the '80s, and your mom. I kind of mentioned that your mom was my actually my uh kind of financial aid
1: advisor <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah 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 and i love your oh, mom your mom is so such a sweetheart me. you know the whole family then <laughs> yeah yeah kind of well i mean you know we're not best friends but yeah i do well you yeah. see if you met my mom you know us you're such if a you nice
0: lady oh my yeah.
1: gosh yeah. but so that um i can't remember oh, God, the guy that was on Mork and mindy he had a dixieland band he was the father of uh wendy oh, mindy. okay right well he had a dixieland band i called him for some dixieland music he goes. Actually, I have something that Plaz played on. So oh. I threw that in the underscore. I was like, oh my god, you know, every piece of music has something of them in it.
0: Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's it's great. I mean, the thing is that you know what's what's great about that film, Standing in the Shadows of Motown, all of those those that genre of films, is that these guys just did not get the recognition, which is a big part of the film and the, of the movie and the story. Right.
1: Yeah. And, you know. I don't know how bothered they were, you know. They're, you're never bothered when you're working,
0: right? And you're like, if you're a musician, you're fortunate to be working steadily. Yeah,
1: I think, and that's how my father. I think, and you knew him. I think he he would, you know, he was just he knew he was a minority of a minority, a musician that's getting paid and a musician that was making a living, like you know, in a good living. He was extremely of a you know, but he was very grateful, you know, and I think, yeah, I think later when these you go, yeah, I, w- I think they wanted to get the credits yeah, you know, or just get, and they were acknowledged and, you know, later.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Cause you know, we all hear those songs. We all grew up with those songs. And then you're sitting at a restaurant eating. I'm sure you this happened to your dad and he hears the song come on and your first reaction is kind of like say, Oh yeah, I played guitar that. But you're kind of like, people aren't going to believe me. <laughs> you know that's kind of the standing in the Mo- shadows of motown the guy talks about playing guitar on my girl and he goes yeah i, I don't even bring it up anymore <laughs> you know, it's,
1: it's funny um wadi will tell will talk about the next uh, i uh, next documentary wadi Wattel was talking about he's needs he wants to go buy a pack of cigarettes and he and he goes into um uh, you know liquor store to buy this pack of cigarettes and realizes he's got no money on him hmm. he's got nothing on him but the Andrew Gold song that he's got this solo on is playing in the background. And there was a moment where he goes- I'm like, I'm that guy. can you just give me the cigarettes? Right. <laughs> Help a brother out. <laughs> it cracks me up because I could just see it in, in, in Wadi's head.
0: Right, yeah. You know, and it's like funny, he, yeah, he's a guy like everybody, you know, you've seen him over the years. He pops up in TV shows, he pops up in films. But I mean, that guy, Leland, which we're gonna talk about in a minute, all those guys, I mean, including your dad and, and Hal Blaine and Carol K. I I mean, like those guys, they were just ever present in our lives, but people didn't necessarily realize no, it. No,
1: no, no, not at all. I mean, I listen, um, I'm just thrilled we got what we got in the, those days. And I'm glad, I. you know, I could never have made that film um, any other time. If I did it 10 years earlier, they wouldn't have been as honest the guys. Right. And I say that because at this part of their careers, they kind of were out of the game. They're not playing that game anymore. You know what I mean? Even though it's in their head, you're still you're still doing it.
0: Yeah. And they're they're probably still getting calls, but they're just not they're nowhere near as busy as they as they were. Right.
1: Oh, and I know, listen, for my father, you know, and that's why the last line in the film, I don't know if you remember it. And when my dad had the stroke, he had a stroke in 92
0: hmm.
1: and that's when he realized you know he had a good reason why no one's calling him right you know even though no one was calling him before the stroke i mean he was getting those calls where it's like you know hey we need someone to do the call you know you're a spanish thing and we need a lot of reading or mandolin so it made it that's where tommy comes in you know hard reading and, stuff. and i think when that stopped call coming i think that's you know, it, you know, it kills
0: you. You know, the thing about, the thing about your dad is that I, well, first of all, he was the funniest man I've literally ever seen in my life, live. I mean, he used to come to the clinics at, at Musicians Institute and literally people would be there crying, laughing for an hour. <laughs> it's just so
1: funny. It was so much fun.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah. And I mean, the cool thing also is that how I first um, heard about him or, or knew about him was from his uh, play uh, guitar player column. That right. used to yeah, guitar player magazine. And I mean, I just, I used to just look for, I would buy the magazine literally to read his column because it was so fun.
1: And, and you know, it's the backstory of those, I think guitar player came to him and said, would you be interested in doing this column? And that was like, I think in 78 when he first started, he said, well, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a writer. I'm not a teacher, but if I do it, I, if I do it the way I can do it. And for those who don't know what it was like, it was, he started out with the title uh, of the whatever date he was on. It could be a movie call or TV right. or a record. And then he did the, literally the date, uh, the amount of money he earned, $365.22, Here. the instruments he played. And he went straight down, you know, exactly all the things that everybody wanted to know. Exactly. He yeah. was so honest about it. And he would describe, you know, he would describe these dates and... Like you said, they were extremely funny most of the time or very pertinent. You didn't have to always read music to understand. He had the music there most a lot of the time. And, um, you know, he would tell him, hey, even though it's a simple part, you're going to get screwed up here.
0: Yeah. I mean, a good thing, like, you know, what was amazing about that is, you know, you get the, you get all the kind of the fluff pieces. We've all seen that stuff on and probably, you from know, publicists and all that. Yeah. But what's cool about him is he was giving, like, for me, I wanted to be a session guy. I wanted to do that stuff. So, like, he was like, direct pertinent. He knew exactly what guys wanted to know, right? That's so important.
1: And, and it was, it's funny because some of the older guys were giving him a lot of shit about it. You know, some of his <laughs> yeah, parents, he didn't give a shit. He yeah. totally didn't give a shit. It's like, You know, everybody has their day. And, and, you know, if you took one thing out of those articles, the the greatest thing is when he would get a letter from someone said, oh, my God. And these were professionals. Let's say one was from back east. He goes, I never would take this summer gig because they wanted a mandolin. And he goes, I never took it because I didn't play mandolin. But once you showed me that you just tune it like a guitar. I've never stopped playing mandolin. <laughs> yeah,
0: that was yeah. so funny. And I actually, I love his thing. You know, he t- he does the thing with the Spanish guitar like You know, like when yeah. it works. But that you know, the thing is, like people people don't realize, like that that especially for young guys like me at that time, I was in you know just coming out of high school and and uh, like we idolized guys like that. Especially, I grew up in L.A., so you know you know about Carlton, you know about all these dudes, yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. written hour and all that, and like but to actually be able to get kind of like behind the scenes access. And get that information is awesome, you know?
1: Yeah, it's funny because don't forget, it's like now all the information's there. Right. right? I mean, you will talk about Leland. The fact exactly. that he's doing his, you know, his YouTube channel is phenomenal.
0: Yeah, and it's, and it's been like super successful.
1: Yeah. Oh, he's killing it. And God bless him. And he's given all that information. If you can just give someone one thing of joy or something to learn, you've done it.
0: And the cool thing about, you know, Leland is very proactive. Like you said, online, like he, I mean, I'll be playing and I would do like lives. I was doing a Springsteen show back east. We were touring and I would go live and I would see Leland pop up. Hey, it sounds really good. <laughs> like It's like, none of those guys do that. I mean, some of them do, but like he really makes an effort to reach out to players like your dad did, the clinics and stuff and be, be an influence.
1: Right. It's funny because you're right. Lee is funny. I look at Lee and I'm very, I feel so much close to Lee over the years. We got closer and closer. I just see the man. Right. And I didn't know him until Wrecking Crew. I mean, I knew of him. You know what I mean? But I wish there were so many questions I want to ask my dad. Yeah. You know. You know what I mean? There was so many questions after he passed. I would have loved to talk to him about Leland and, you know, and all these guys. And
0: yeah, there's just so, there's so many of those guys. Like, and I mean, Leland, the people who I don't know don't really understand about him was he was doing all the Mike Post sessions back in the 80s. He was playing at one point he was playing on like seven or eight different TV
1: shows, (laughs) like Magnum P.I., Hill Street Blues, like all these, you know. Yeah. And Mike Post, and I interviewed Mike Post for the next doc. You know, Leland's the real thing. Here's where Leland is we'll talk about this, about the wrecking crew and the media family the next time, but Leland is different than what my dad's guys, I mean, I'm just talking about instruments. Leland can go in and stay and hang with my dad and play and all that other shit because he can read and he's a monster, da 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 da, player. But the difference is Leland goes on the road and he's a monster. Yeah, because those guys, the wrecking crew guys, pretty
0: much did not not go on the road, right?
1: No, no way. No (laughs) way. My dad, that was like, you don't do that unless you get a lot of money yeah yeah how blaine
0: how blaine was one of the guys that kind of really nailed on that but
1: yeah you know and he, you know it took a it took a while before you know you left you went on the road because either you made money or you in my dad's day you made money or it wasn't you weren't making money at home and you had to keep going
0: yeah, and I mean, he had you guys, he had, the, he had the family, and I know he was a big family guy when, when he was available because he was so busy, right?
1: Yeah, but you know, it's just, it just was a different era.
0: Yeah, and I, I think, you know, one, one of the really neat things about the film is that you mentioned kind of timing because not too long after you made the film, some of the, the guys passed. Or a lot of them have, actually. Um, and it's great to have them on film talking about that, otherwise that history would have been lost.
1: Yeah, I always, you know, it's, I'm very lucky. Like I said, if it was, it was the right time and also being in their 60s, when I started interviewing them, dad was 67 when he died. So they're all within that age. You know, right. the oldest at the time was Bill Pittman, who was 10 years older than dad. So he, he's now 100. Wow. Crazy. He'll just turned. he be 101 next month.
0: <gasps> that's amazing. He's still, that's awesome. He's still alive. Yeah. And,
1: but all these guys, if they were a little older, let's say in their 70s, 80s, Stories get changed, right? You know, and
0: people's health declines,
1: and they can't get it out, or or they're telling stories that they heard, right? And I, you know, I saw that a lot. Yeah, you know, you see a lot of stuff that's repeated incorrectly.
0: Yeah, and you actually talk about. I, I was reading a thing, an interview with you, and you're talking about people first trying to tell, say, your dad, your father. You at first you tried to stop that.
1: <laughs> but, well, that. That was yeah. That was God. It's funny because when I all right. So that's really interesting. You brought that up. Um, when I started the film, I wanted to make. I didn't want this when we started editing, especially. Right. I didn't want this film. I wanted to be the director. People didn't assume it was just tommy's kid you know making a film right exactly like you know i've been in the business for 20 years you know as a grip as a decorator yeah you worked on the imax films a lot yeah, of I did of IMAX, yeah, exactly so this was my first kind of directorial other than a few you know music video stuff and when i did it i didn't want people like you said say your dad because you know i wanted the ego but what ended up happening when we started cutting we cut 20 minutes, Claire, the my editor, Claire Scalin and director, she's now a director. We cut 20 minutes and one of our friends, Grady Cooper, another director, said, why are you guys cutting it like this? I said, what do you mean? She said, why are you cutting this film the way any one of us can cut this film? Yeah, because that's a personal story for you. It also right, and and I wasn't going there. I didn't want to go there because my ego is saying if I go there,
0: right, people are going to say, oh, he just made it for his dad, or yeah, I got yeah.
1: And I was like, okay, so I started. He says, you got something that none of us can do touch. I said, all right. So we started touching upon the. I in, in, introduced it, and then I started coming in, you know, bringing a pop up, and then yeah. after dealing with that, I realized, okay, it's the way to go. And it made the difference in the film because it gave me a lot of latitude because now I don't have to hear about why isn't so-and-so in the film? Why isn't so-and-so in the, you know what, I can't do it. Listen, it's me, myself, and I.
0: Right, yeah, you have to kind of pick, and you have to sort of decide like, what part of the story am I gonna tell, right?
1: Yeah, and and, you know, I, I had no financing. And it was always, you know, I I always needed humor. I always want to find humor and humanity in the piece. Yeah. And go back to my father for the humor was easy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I actually, I loved, I loved the Glenn
0: Campbell stuff too. You know, and I, and I, when you're talking about like him talking about you, like, you know, you're, you're Tommy's son, but they had a great love for your father and that connection.
1: yeah, Yeah, very much so. And listen, I could never have done this. If dad was a total, you know, can we say prick? yeah exactly. sure Yeah, um, but if he was you know if dad was a jerk that would have been a really difficult uh, it would have been a different talk. I would have been talking, maybe talking about he like all the others they all have egos you
0: had to I mean to do what they did you had to be able to walk in and know that you're going to kill it
1: and know how to deal with everybody's different and that's you have to be not just a great player you have to be so damn smart and yeah. reading a room
0: right yeah. Cause it's personalities too. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, someone said, what's your greatest fond memories of, uh, you know, what you learned about your dad, you know, the music stuff, I've always, people would always hit me. Oh man, I was on the session and, and this happened, this happened and talk about his playing. But then there was those ones where like, um, Chuck Rainey, and. You've, I think you've seen that story of Chuck Rainey, who's you know, as you know, one of the great bass players of all time. Right. He was new in town, and he's been Benny Golson hires him to do Mash, and he's never met my dad. He's and
0: he's a little, probably a little nervous, and
1: yeah. Well, he's just nervous because it's an orchestra, and and he said, I have to play this odd time signature on the bass, and I rehearse it, and I blow it. And he knew it was already going to be a problem because he had the music before and he still felt- Still struggling, problem. yeah. Yeah. And they start rolling. This is at Fox Studios. They start rolling and he starts blowing it at that section again. And my father makes a big mistake, huge mistake, like boom, hits his chord. They <laughs> he looked to Tommy. You all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Let's do it again. And they do it again. And at that point, Chuck's lost and my father comes in again, blows a second time. Wow. And and Chuck originally thought, Oh my God, he's blown it.
0: Yeah, like what's going on? <laughs> yeah.
1: and, then, and then my father looked at him and he says, and you know, after the Tommy, okay? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. And they roll the film back in those days. Yeah, right. They and my father turns to Chuck. Chuck said, he goes, You're on your own now.
0: Yeah. I got you, I got you twice. Now <laughs> yeah,
1: I, can, I can only do so much. And great. it was, the, and Chuck said, we, they were friends from that point on ever, you know, they were good yeah. friends.
0: But I mean, you know, that, that shows the the big heart that your dad had and you, and you could tell that with him, he was just a sweet guy. I mean, that, you know, that's, you know, when you got all these guys sitting there on union scale, that's pressure. I mean, as you know, I mean, you've, you've dealt with that in the film business, you, at some point you got to get it or, or you're going to have a problem.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Someone's going someone's gonna to get hurt.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, what was what was your dad's feeling about like teaching players cuz i know he did the clinic thing seemed to and later years that was a big thing for him
1: i think you know what it was he was gr- he loved sharing if he could ha- like those articles he always felt if there was something there to help someone and the, the if it wasn't for those seminars at mi and all those things he did around the country right it gave him so much more for him it felt i think he felt it was it basically pushed him into playing and being a better player himself. Right. Don't forget in 78, when he started those articles, and I think he started doing those seminars in mid-70s with Fender or Gibson and Yamaha, really. Mm. Or he started meeting all those young you know, musicians around the country, and they would ask him, why aren't you – don't you play for yourself? He realized he hadn't played for himself.
0: Right. He was just doing the job and coming in. Yeah. And, yeah. and
1: I think that was something that that's his biggest re- was his biggest regret, not playing constantly. Right. And from that point on, he never stopped playing. But the students in the teaching helped him because he felt like those kids are way more educated and way better guitar players, some of them. Yeah. Then he might
0: be yeah because like you said that the technology has changed even i mean the mi thing was so smartly designed like the players today are way better but i mean like having guys like him giving that inf- like you said like the practical advice and you could tell he loved doing it it was oh you know, he I, did. yeah i remember him doing a thing at, around christmas time at mi and he just dressed
1: as santa yeah. <laughs> and oh, came yeah. in-
0: it was so oh my god
1: so funny i mean in the first days uh, 78 and 79 i mean 78 i just saw something the other day i think there were 38 kids in the first class yeah. and so the party was at the christmas party was at our house oh wow funny but, you know so and then he would come out like as like you said santa with the hat oh man, um, that's so funny
0: um so yeah you know now you're you're kind of carrying on from where you left off with The Wrecking Crew and you have a new film that you're working on in production right now, The Immediate Family. Um, Tell us about that. And I mean, I know a little bit about it. It's basically like Leland and those guys, but.
1: Well, what happened was um, a year ago, I got a, uh, no, over a year ago, in September or uh, August last year, pre-COVID. So we'll think of things as pre-COVID. Right. I was approached by these producers, Jack Pyatt and Greg Richling and uh, uh, Jonathan Sheldon. They said, hey, we're interested. In, would you be interested in doing a documentary on the guys that were in the section? They have a band called The Media Family. Danny, Coach, I didn't know them personally, but they were all legends. To yeah,
0: me. you knew the names.
1: Yeah, you know, and Leland is the only one I knew personally that I've over the years seen and met a few many times. Sure. And so it was Danny, Coach Mar, Wadi Wachtel, um, Leland, and Russ Kunkel, and uh, the fifth band member they have is Steve Pastel. And they had this band called the Media Family. And the whole idea is this Media Family, they've been friends since and been playing together for over 50 years. And yeah. they have this band. And I thought, okay, now that is making to me, I had a hook on it. Right. Because at the end of the Wrecking Crew, if you remember, Lou Adler, when I asked him about why what What made a change? he goes, it wasn't about the changes in the late 60s, early 70s. It wasn't about the players. It was just Carol King came in with her own players. She goes, she brought in James Taylor and she brought in Danny Kochmar. I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. It comes off of the Wrecking Crew. And the idea of them being so close, another family, I like that idea. Because, listen, every one of these studio players, you know, their own dog. Any one of those.
0: Yeah, because their histories are so huge. Sure. Yeah. And,
1: and as well as, you know, you could do the Steve Gads, you could do the Jeff, the Picard family and the Royals and go on and on and on. And I just felt like, well, I have something to grab onto here. And they said, can you interview Carol King in three weeks? I went, like, oh, God. <laughs> like, the no wait, pressure. Wait, wait. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm like really. Now I got to get my shit together. Yeah.
0: Man. And she's she's no joke. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I felt like pull it together and a lot of research quickly. Even though it's kind of my era, but it isn't.
0: Yeah, we've 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 heard those songs, but we don't necessarily know the history of how that yeah. got made. And
1: yeah. yeah, my big the biggest thing was I always thought these guys are the legends, and they were the <laughs> legends for me. You know, and. When I was interviewing Peter Asher, it was a light bulb went off and they said, no, when we're working with James Taylor, they're not legends. They're just players. They barely have any studio credits behind them.
0: Yeah, they're they're just they're just people coming in and, and like they can play, but they don't know. They're not known at that point. Right. No,
1: yeah. And I went, Oh, my God. That's right. Because in my head, there's legends. But yeah, and that's, <laughs> exactly. and that's the other, yeah. And that's the other difference between Wrecking Crew guys and these guys. Let's say 65 is their heyday, or even 62 in, when they're working with uh, um, Jan and Dean, and they're working with Phil Spector in 63 and all that stuff, and the Beach Boys and all that stuff. These guys have been around for five years, my dad and Hal and Earl. And, they've already you know, been
0: doing it, yeah.
1: Kind of been doing it. So once they get, and then 67, they've been doing it for 10 years, they're killing it. These guys, you know, Russ Kunkel's first three albums, I think within a year and a half is... Uh, Joni Mitchell's Blue, James Sweet Baby James for James Taylor, and Tapestry. I, yeah. <laughs> it's like crazy. You know, so, and then Leland leaves, you know, Northridge, CSUN. He mm-hmm. wasn't even in the music department at that point. He quit music. at yeah, Cal, CSUN. Cal State Northridge, yeah. Right. And became a science major. Oh, wow. Uh. You know, and he someone offered, him, hey, you'd be interested to go on the road for a month with James Taylor. He thought he'd take a break. Yeah. He'll go do that for a month. Never went back.
0: Yeah, it's all you know, it's interesting, too, because I know your daddy probably experienced this, too. Sometimes it's that one phone call you get
1: (laughs) changes your life, right? A lot of it's luck, but you have to put yourself out there to get luck. Right. You can't wait for the phone call. You kind of. So, you know, you're in a band and it's like every player. You know, it's, I'm sure it's so much more difficult, especially today, because musicians, you're naturally, you're not a solo artist. None of you.
0: Right. Yeah, we, we have to find somebody to work with. right?
1: And that is the thing is connects all of you. And that's what gets you the next gig. So kids these days who are just playing on their computers, Is you know, learning they might be technically great, but.
0: I mean, the, the cool thing about the technology. I mean, first of all, like they obviously even stuff like Spotify, which is you know c- kind of controversial in a ways, but um, you get your music out there. It's a lot different than it used to be back in the '70s. You had to have a deal. You have to have a publicist to get even heard, right? So that that sort of democratized the music business for good and for for better and for worse. <laughs>
1: you no, know, it, it's funny because I that was one of the biggest. Uh, you know, well, when I was doing those Q and As after the films, and mm-hmm. you hear. People go, oh, they don't make music like they used to. And, da, 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 da. right. Well, my parents, my mother and my parents said the same thing. You know, even my father. Would exactly. Say, yeah. yeah. You know, it's you're, not your cup of tea. Um, but I said, listen, when I was growing up in 68, 1968, I'm seven years old. If you go back 50 years, you know, from there, 1918, yeah. what music am I listening to? Exactly nothing from there
0: yeah yeah cause you, you were lucky to hear a live band playing on the yeah. street or something yeah
1: yeah so i'm so the stuff we're listening to as kids are big bands mm-hmm. from our parents stuff in the 30s and 40s and then the 50s now the kids of today so we also had but in those times we only had a couple of radio stations right we didn't have we only had a few tv stations yeah we didn't
0: have 300 i mean that's the thing growing up in la we had like what six seven stations
1: <laughs> it was like... and, you know and then then it moved you know then everything you know now forget it these my kids can never ever find another piece of music they could stay on one site whatever they want so they never hear anything else
0: right um, yeah
1: and they could go on forever but I want to say this, there is a McCartney and, and you know, and Lennon, and there's others out there today. It's just hard to find them. That's my personal feeling.
0: Right. And I mean, the thing is, that's awesome about, you know, the immediate family, the songs that those guys all played on, the songs that your father and those guys all played on is that they're, in a way, they're timeless. Like those songs have never gone away.
1: They're still on the radio. Which is bizarre. Yeah. What I'm saying is, so my kids are listening to their stuff as well as they know all the stuff we grew up with.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, know, like what was the one the movie, uh, the galaxy? What was the one with?
0: um, Oh, Galaxy Quest or?
1: (laughs) No, 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 the other galaxy. The one with the it was great soundtrack. They're listening to Brandy. You know the?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I I know what you're talking about. (laughs) Guardian, Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardian of the, actually, the Guardian of the Galaxy. Yeah, both of those soundtracks are freaking awesome.
1: You know, so they're they're growing up with all the stuff we grew up with. You know, I just started pulling out albums again, LPs, because that's part yeah. of the research of the next film. You know, that's where LPs become the focus of 70s. Like I said, media family, the difference is now these guys are doing it, but they're also getting their names on the on the back of the albums. Right. The, they're starting to get a personality or people are looking at or reading the credits and the liner notes. And then they're going on the road backing those projects up.
0: Yeah, and that, that's the thing because like in and the, they talk at you, you guys talk about that in the Wrecking code film, like people would see these acts, Jan and Dean, the Beach Boys, and they really weren't seeing the people that actually played on the record.
1: No, when they, when they
0: saw James Taylor, when they saw Joni Mitchell, they were seeing the folks that actually were on the record. It sounded, the, right. it sounded right.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's funny because um, Lou Adler said to me and this not in The Wrecking Crew, but recently on this new film, he said he goes, you know, in the 60s, he said it was bands weren't part of the travel. You know, it was like the the artist would lip sync to tracks. Right. Yeah. And then he goes and I said something about lip sync. He goes, no, lip sync was really good. <laughs> <laughs> well he yeah says, if they
0: went on a lot of these shows a lot of the big tv shows yeah. at the time they were they weren't playing live right
1: and it, and it made sense he goes yeah they were really good those lip sync you know because <laughs> they're the right track there's nailing it you know and i imagine you know the other thing is the ch- change is danny danny kochmar said cooch said the the technology change for touring he goes you know i look down he goes i'm touring again in the 70s and you know, I looked down and he says what are those things they were minor.
0: right yeah I mean that's why the beat that's why the Beatles stopped touring right they couldn't hear themselves
1: <laughs> and it was it was like he goes if he goes if the girls could actually hear the, all the screaming they probably find out the music was awful because it couldn't be heard do you know what I mean it was uh, no one could hear anybody <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't know if yeah, I think the girls that were following the Beatles, they probably didn't even care. They were just looking at the guys, but but it's cool actually. It's a credit to them that they realized that they weren't able to do the performance that they really wanted to do, and because they could have just they could have just taken the money. That
1: that changed everything. Changed for that the radio FM radio came in, um, which was much more they keen on playing an album. 70s, you know, you could play the backside, and the A side, and the backside, and that'd be, you know, a good hour's worth of music.
0: So, the focus of the film is obviously all the records that they played on. Can you can you name some of the, I mean, you mentioned uh, the Carol King yeah. and Tony Mitchell. What's some of the, can you name some of the other records that those guys play on? Cause it's a, I mean, it's a long list, I know, but
1: <laughs> what else? Uh, you know, a lot of Linda Ronstead stuff. Orange you know, yeah. uh, Werewolves of London. Great story.
0: Such great music, yeah.
1: You know all these different artists in the singer songwriter era. Yeah,
0: I mean I think the thing too with those guys, I know Leland especially is like the, you know like you mentioned your dad and the humor. Like Leland just it's he's a funny dude, and those guys yeah. are all they're all good guys. They they and they're you know they're out there they're doing stuff they're staying busy still, right?
1: Yeah, and that's you know that was one of the concerns that was funny because one of the concerns Danny said when we were talking at the beginning before we actually said yeah we're gonna do this he goes. I don't want people thinking we're dead. I, you know, <laughs> exactly. like, we it's all
0: like a posthumous <laughs> film. <laughs> I,
1: said, no. I said, first of all, no, that's the, why it's different than The Wrecking Crew. Yeah. It's a big difference because dad, hey, dad wasn't getting those calls at 62. Yeah. And I, that was one of the things my brother Damon and I-
0: He's also an amazing film, works in the film industry. He has a like, long.
1: He could, exactly, he's an engineer and mixer we came like just a few years too late in a weird way because if damon had started his his mixing a few years earlier we would have nailed dad we would have had great albums from um when the new wave or the jazz thing came in right. and i say that because that was one of the things that used to drive me nuts is when the wave or whatever you want to call the music right. was playing and i hear these acoustic guitars
0: you're thinking dad could have killed that.
1: <laughs> oh my God. And it was like and it drove us. It drove me nuts. Yeah. and I'm Like I wish. But what my dad did have that the younger players did have is patience and want. Right. My dad didn't give a shit. He didn't care. He loved playing. But well, what he needed, I think what would have been great is to have a young guy produce him at that point.
0: Right. Yeah, like Marcus did with with, uh, with Miles, right? To have Just to have a different yeah. perspective. And, yeah. You know what I mean?
1: And uh, that would have been a really cool thing because you've taken someone out of their element, which he was better. His albums were so much better when someone else producing them. And I say that uh, because this live album at MI. Were you there then or just after that?
0: Uh, I was in MI like 84, 85. So I, I'm i not sure when they filmed the recording.
1: It might have been. Yeah. How Howard
0: Roberts was still there, those guys, the original guys. Yeah.
1: Dad did a uh, album with it in '84. Yeah, it was in '84. Okay. '84. Awesome. It was Dom Mock produced it. Well Dom produced it. But really Jimmy Bruno, the guitar player, and John Koenig, the other guitar player. They really produced it. They really were the one in pushing dad into a different world, even though it was it was just much, you know, more aggressive. Um, the dad's first jazz album in the 60s was produced by Tommy Lapuma. Oh, wow. And Tommy told me Tommy Lapuma told me it was his first album ever that he produced. It was my dad wow. and Al Schmidt was an engineer. It's a gorgeous, album, but what I'm saying is I just wish we had that moment of... Yeah.
0: You wish you could have got a few more years. Yeah,
1: yeah before stroke. And uh, Listen, I wish that's, but that's why, I'm sorry, it's all over the place now. But the reason that brought this up is when dad doesn't have his studio career, is like, oh, it's kind of like, it's waning. He knows it's natural, right. natural waning. And all of a sudden he, you know, it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm retired. Now the stroke hit. That's it yeah. too. Or yeah, that's a 19, he's 62 when he has a. Yeah, because he
0: actually in the film, yeah. a lot of people don't realize in the film, he's actually pretty sick when they're doing the round table like they're talking.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's very sick. And there's a stupid, uh, back, I should have released it one day. There's backstage footage you know, my friends shooting it. Yeah. And Carol Kay walks in and and dad's there and she goes, oh, and stutters through it. She goes, Tommy, you, you look great. He goes, Carol, the cancer's on the inside, not on my face. <laughs> It's <laughs> like a ball buster You can't even get that
0: Oh my god, yeah, and it's actually funny Because I mean, that. I actually, that's one of my favorite parts Of the, of the Wrecking Crew, is the round table oh. Because they're just bullshitting and, and those guys all have huge stories, like you said Each one of them, you could do a documentary on just them
1: Oh, <laughs> we are so good Those guys, I mean Earl Palmer was supposed to be there, but he got really sick. So it would have been interesting to see what Earl's uh, perspective would have been, too.
0: Yeah, in that, in that mix of those guys, yeah, it would have been really fun.
1: So what I'm saying is, Danny, those guys never stopped playing. Yeah. Danny and Lee and, and uh, Wadi and Russ, they never stopped playing and never will.
0: And they're still busy as ever, right? I mean, except for the COVID thing, but they're, they're super busy guys.
1: That's the difference. You know, Dad had a career, you know, he, he, play, he never stopped playing at home, throw my mother nuts, but she never stopped playing. You know. Yeah,
0: she probably wasn't used to him being home, right? That, that was, that must have been a big change for her.
1: <laughs> I remember, uh, there was, she was, do we have to have that big you know, that big guitar, it was a guitar. Do we have yeah. to have that in the corner? And he goes, yeah, we do. That's what gave us a house. Exactly. The guitar <laughs> gave us a house.
0: See, that's why I tried to tell my wife, why do you have 15 basses? Well, <laughs> well exactly. I know. It's the it's the eternal musician struggle, right? <laughs>
1: exactly. I, I wonder why if the girls, the female musicians, do they have the same gripes from their from their uh, other sides?
0: That's a good point. I had I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm sure. That um,
0: um, probably so. What when, when the when do you uh, think you guys will be rapping on the on the immediate family? When what's the release? Well, I know it's obviously it changes, but
1: wait, well, no, no, it's interesting because once COVID hit, what I once COVID hit. At that point, as of a year ago today, I think we were in, uh, we might've been in Sundance pushing it. We had shot, we shot Carol King, Linda Ronstead, James Taylor, Jackson Brown, Lou Lou Adler, Phil Collins. Wow. Uh, We never, in Bob Glob, we never stopped filming people. Okay. Uh, So then when COVID hit, then I started filming the guys. Challenging, yeah. Well, I had to, yeah, I had to get the guys in. And we still have a couple. We still have a few more um, uh, interviews to do, but we're started cutting. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm hoping by the end of this year we'll have something released.
0: Well, you know that's going to be good timing because I think that's when the film, the movie theaters, will be opening up, and and uh, and I think I think like the Wrecking Crew has had a huge afterlife after after the initial release online, right? Like Netflix, all these different outlets.
1: Yeah, you know what's funny is when we did you know people don't realize it's like any musician i, I you know i you guys if you put out your own stuff you understand it. it's like oh god i wish someone would respond to it i wish someone would respond right. to it and no one ever buys the album no one signs you and and i went through that for night uh, 19 years you know i had to never give up and if yeah. film had when it was released in the and in festivals in 08 if it died, if it didn't get any awards, if it had bad reviews, I would have moved on. Life would have been different, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't have gone bankrupt.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's and that's sort of the life of a documentary filmmaker, right? It's project to project, and I mean, luckily with the immediate family, you had people that came to you. Yeah.
1: Thank God. Oh my! Yeah. Wife. Oh my! Wife would kill me. And
0: oh. she actually, she works with you, right? Or she worked with you on the wrecking crew. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. She, you know, she's there. It's, uh, Susie, is that your wife's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. cool. And, but you no, know, I just, the reason I say that is it's so hard. And you guys know it. It's like no one came, and everybody would say, no one is going to. When I started looking for help after dad passed, mm-hmm. I put together a 14 minute piece and started trying to find financing to get this music and this whole thing financed. No one would help. And they said, no one's going to help because publishers and the labels aren't going to come together, blah, 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 blah. And then they say, well, it's only going to make this much when it's going to cost you this much. Right. So why would any? Yeah, they, buy- they want to know how they're
0: going to get their money back. Right. right.
1: And I just kept saying, no, well, I disagree, but, you know, so that's why I had to basically, we went into debt, we did everything you're not supposed to do, credit cards, refi, pay the credit card, yeah. refi. Yeah. Right. And then, the, you know, oh, wait.
0: Yeah, you just, you figure out a way to make it work.
1: And then- it, Crash! the world crashed no way and right. then we okay now no one's really signing up so then i had ways musicians taught me about merch uh but then i started taking that film on the road as after the festivals i would take it on the road and started getting emails and people you know i have people sign the little cards at festival or at screenings right give them a hat give them a cd whatever i could give away just to get that email yeah that's super smart and that's what created, I created that buzz of, of becoming, okay, well, I we got five emails, 10 emails, 22,000 emails. When we, in the Facebook page, really started figuring out that. Um, I was trying to get the, I was trying to get, I was trying to get the music industry to help. I tried to get under yeah. and I tried to- Because
0: it's it's you're telling their story, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: but then you had no interest, you know, everybody pleads poverty you know, with these fenders and all these, you know, give me a break. I understand. You give me a guitar. Thank you very much. But you're going to spend $15,000 on a cover of an ad. That's going to be thrown out that magazine or 25,000. I'm asking for $10,000. You put your name on the button on the DVD for the outtakes of the guitar players. Fender presents, uh, Ludwood presents or whoever presents and no one would come to help me. So, but finally someone said, why don't you put a dedication chapter? I said, what's that? He says, you put, you know, like a brick in the wall at a hospital dedicated, whether it's Tedesco family or whatever family. Do that on the DVD. That's really smart. And I went, okay. He is, and the guy says, I'll give you $1,000 right now. Because he had started in, um, in radio. His thing in radio, when he was 12, he goes, I listened to Up, Up, and Away on this AM station and Up, Up, and Away on this AM station. They were different sounds and I realized and that's right the radio he says that started my life I'm starting this so that's what we did I started creating ways of raising money
0: yeah being yeah just figuring it out and being creative
1: and- yeah and at the end of the film if you look at the end of the film you'll see you know certain songs dedicated by so-and-so certain so if you go to the dvd you'll see a whole written out um dedication to my whatever. Huh. so the obvious songs be my baby and you know all those things were like that, quick, right? And then it was like, okay, why I want? No one's gonna touch. Um, uh, no, everybody loves a clown, you know. The, <laughs> who's touch that? So I went. There's uh, always somebody, Denny. That this is my proudest moment. See, at this point in time, when I'm doing this in 2012, 2013, now I'm raising money. And as the money's coming in, I'm paying off a label, paying off uh, a publisher. Right. So I'm not going to. Because you
0: got to get everything cleared before you can release I, the film. <laughs> all the
1: money coming in, I'm not keeping it. It goes straight out. I don't want it. God help me! I didn't want any of that. Right. I want to get rid of stuff because then I start seeing the you know, four hundred thousand dollar bill come down, 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 right. down, down, down. And slowly, increments. Sometimes it was fifteen thousand. Sometimes it was only five hundred. You know, whatever right. it was.
0: Yeah, all goes in the pot. <laughs> right,
1: exactly. And so then I get to Gary Lewis and the Playboy song, Everybody Loves Clown. I go, hmm, I got this one. I call a clown school. I find a clown school in LA. Oh, my God, that's funny. Guy. <laughs> I pitch the guy, and he gives me $1,000. And it was it. And I even pitched hot dogs and got money out of Pink's because there was another song that Hal Blaine did called called Pink's. It was basically yeah. all about eating hot dogs at Pink's. So you got to, you know, you're thinking outside the box all the time. Yeah. But those were my proudest moments after the film was made.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. You know, that thing is like that. That whole thing for you. I mean, that's obviously like years in the making. But that's some great memories. And that, I mean, obviously, just in capturing those guys, like you said before they before they passed and stuff, was was just really awesome. I think that's that's gonna. I mean, that lives on. Their legacy lives on.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and you know, that film was made by real fans. Do you know what I mean? It, there, there's, no way, there's no way I could have ever gotten that film made if it wasn't for the real players, the musicians on the road. And that was the right. frustrating part of it, as I said, when I did the the grand opening, grand opening, well, that sounds like a, a shopping center. When I did the, <laughs> the, the, premier the premiere. The there you go. The grand opening. Here today, <laughs> <laughs> when we did the premiere in LA. I remember saying if there's any distributors out in this audience I beg you do not watch these these screenings by yourself on a computer watch it yeah. with people yep you have to you can't judge a lot sometimes cuz you don't know what the reaction was and I'm telling you that as my experience I didn't know there were funny parts in the movie yeah like you they think it's
0: different. funny but you don't know what it's going to be in front of an audience <laughs> Oh,
1: i don't even know what was funny there was things yeah, oh, okay. that were funny and just like right. oh they're laughing at that <laughs> yeah. every time it was consistent
0: you yeah know? i mean that's you know those guys i mean the thing is that those guys as you know i mean they're all they're all great characters they, they were just you know
1: yeah i'm trying i'm trying to make a, a right now i'm pitching the sitcom you know the not you know a tv series now that's what we're trying, that's what we're trying next is the Wrecking Crew series.
0: Awesome, yeah. There's so, uh, there's some stuff going on with that down at Fame too in Muscle Shoals. Um, thank you so much for for joining me, Denny. I know you've got uh, you've got actually a very busy day because I know you're going to do another thing here in a couple
1: of minutes. Yeah, yeah I got also my my uh, I'm the taste of the day.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. You know what? I mean, it's nice to be wanted, right? <laughs> that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> But uh, yeah, your family, I mean, your family has an awesome story. Like I said, I love your mom and, and your dad was such a sweetheart. Um, your brothers is is great. And uh, I think it's awesome that you guys are carrying on the legacy of being creative and, and, and you know, telling your dad's story, telling uh, the immediate family story, all those guys. It's, because that, a lot of those guys over the years have sort of gotten, have been forgotten. And and uh, as a musician, I have a great love for them. I have a great love for their stories. So it's I appreciate
1: your time very much. I appreciate it. You know, like, if you guys I think you already know but if you're on Facebook um, check out the media family film it's called and we're in wrecking Crew film as well it's because we're always given those extra uh, outtakes and stuff and trivia every day
0: yeah and we'll we'll put all of the uh, your social links and and the facebook pages all that stuff we're going to put that in the in the uh, podcast description we make sure that people yeah make sure people can find you and uh once uh, immediate family comes out uh, and gets gets rolling we'll uh, we'll help you with our music pages um we have uh music crowns in london and uh, for the love of bass guitar music in italy and those pages yeah they have about seven million music lovers so they'll, they'll love they're gonna love they love the record i'm sure they're gonna love the immediate family
1: I appreciate
0: it, man. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. We'll see you. Awesome. Thank you very much, man. Bye.
1: Thanks for joining us. And please consider subscribing to our podcast and follow us on our social media pages for guest announcements.